ground in Donna, Texas. If you want to take a look at this facility right here, to your left, that is the Border Patrol tent facility. Stands right behind me. Just a month ago, Customs and Border Patrol agents completed the construction of that facility. It's a 165,000 square foot facility. And we have never seen images inside this facility before. They won't even allow the nonprofit lawyers who conduct the actual oversight of these immigration detention centers to go inside. Nobody has seen photos inside of this place until now. Project Veritas has obtained never before seen photographs of what it actually looks like inside this facility. Shocking images showing people wrapped up in what looks like metal foil, laying on the ground, their faces covered. Why won't the administration be honest about this? Why won't they show you these images? We have a man who's telling us to leave. Where would the press? They told us it's private property, but you know what isn't private property? Airspace. We're going to fly this Cirrus right over the top of the detention center to get a better look. Airspace is not private property, so we're flying a thousand feet. There's the facility right there. You can see it. There it is. Flying over the facility to give you a good vantage point. There are the tents. You see a bus right over there. Now, during a recent press conference, the press secretary was asked a question why they haven't released these images. Even you all haven't released any images that you obviously could, could redact if you wanted to. Again, we, we remain committed to sharing with all of you uh, data on the number of kids crossing uh, the, uh, the... She dodged the question saying, quote... And we remain committed to transparency. I don't have an update for you on the, the timeline. Timeline, end quote. Well... Press Secretary of the White House, let Project Veritas do your job for you. Just last night, we have now obtained these photos inside this facility. Now, these photos are very, very grim. In addition to the photos, Project Veritas has also learned wow. that these were taken, these photographs were taken wow. in the last few days. There are eight pods wow, 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 with wow, wow. eight cells in each facility at any given moment there are an average of 3,000 people in custody inside this detention center now the pod has eight cells that are currently holding 600 that's 600 unaccompanied juvenile males age wow. 7 to 17. they're separated by age or physical size depending on the room 50 of the individuals inside this facility were covid positive in these cells. There have been multiple sexual assaults inside this facility, uh, normal assaults, and daily medical emergencies. I want to stop there. What you have just listened to, if you're watching via YouTube, what you just watched is Project Veritas' investigation to the crisis that is on our southern border. The deflection in mainstream, the ignoring in most of mainstream, and the sugarcoating of this issue is beyond reprehensible as we are 75 days going on going into the last quarter of the first 100 days of the biden administration prior to this prior to who prior to what prior to the biden administration prior to january 20th border surges and that is a word and that's not a white supremacist word as aoc would like to put it border surge was down Crossing the border illegally was down. Illegal immigrants entering the country were down. Cartels and crime in terms of what cartels perpetrate through the southern border was down. 
but because of the lax immigration policies, but be, and because of open borders or soft on borders or soft on immigration policies of the Biden administration and the rhetoric that he had on the campaign trail, we are now seeing, in some instances, a 429% increase. In some instances, some say a 329% increase. In some instances, these, these facilities are at their breaking point. When I say at their breaking point, I mean 700% over capacity. This is just recent data, just recent information that we're finding out as I speak to you today. The Biden administration has also committed to, I think, giving nearly $90 million to housing immigrants in hotels, which is another way of simply saying, come over to our country. Because if you come over illegally and you skip the process that many other millions are currently in, you'll get free housing. Yet the Biden administration has not taken full responsibility as they should for this crisis. Instead, they have deflected and not defended their rhetoric, but deflected from the problem at hand by blaming a guy by the name of Trump who was strong on borders and who simply said, I don't want this to happen, and was in the process of building a wall, which border experts, border patrol, has said they needed and that they wanted. In this podcast today, we're gonna, I'm reacting more so to a Thomas sole video entitled why joe biden cannot become president this was obviously made and collected and, and assembled before the the november 3rd 2020 election now we're living in the reality of joe biden's america we're living in the reality of america ruled by one party at the federal level they control the white house they control the senate and they control the house of representatives they control all of congress they control all of the executive branch agencies and it all. They are completely in charge. And what Thomas so sadly predicted came to pass after November 3rd. So with that being said, understanding that and dealing with that, we're going to look at the first 75 days of Joe Biden's presidency with, I think, the most crucial and the most poignant and what I think will set the tone for what we'll see the next the next three and a so odd years. What will set the tone, I think, is this border crisis. So we're going to look at the Joe Biden administration. We're going to look at what, what he has not really done in, in 75 days and how what Thomas Sowell said prior to the election is sadly coming to pass. That's what we're talking about in today's episode of Changing Nature with me, your host, Jay Shakur. You don't become what you want because so much of wanting is about living in the space of what you don't have. I believe that we all share this common desire. We all want to be liked. We all want to be accepted. Everything we do in some way considers that fact. You can't play life if you don't have a vision. You don't build your character because, you know, you know letting go of your ego. Thank you for listening. Hello, hello, hello all. Welcome to another edition of Changing Narrative with me, your host, Jay Shakur. I'm excited to be with you today. I'm excited to talk about the issues that I think matter and that the mainstream probably 
aren't being straightforward with. Again, this is Jason Court, and welcome to Changing the Narrative. Before we begin, I will ask that you all like and share this if you're watching via YouTube or if you're listening via my many podcasting platforms and the, or the many platforms in which this podcast come on. Please, 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 please like this podcast. Share this podcast. Share with others. Tell others about this podcast, Changing the Narrative. If you're on YouTube, subscribe. Hit the notification bell if you're on YouTube to get notified anytime I go live or anytime I post a new video. Let's talk about the first 75 days of Biden in the context of a Thomas Sowell video. Thomas Sowell, as I mentioned, warned us, if you will, talked about the necessity of what he felt was pregnant and what was on the line as it concerns the 2020 election. We're now living in that sad reality and we'll have to for at least three years. Let's react and let's look at what Thomas Sowell had to say. We should stop rewarding wealth and start rewarding work a little bit. Let's raise the capital gains tax for people making over a million bucks a year to ordinary income. Let's reverse the Trump tax cut. Those of the left often act as if uh, human beings are just like inert blocks of wood. Let's stop there. Joe Biden initially said that prior to, you know, being sworn, he said the taxes will not be raised on anyone making. This is Joe Biden's talking. Taxes will not be raised on anyone making less than uh, making uh, less than $400,000. Now he has scaled back and admitted, uh, I think that's going to go down to people making less than $200,000, which we know the windfall of it all will end up on hurting the middle class and then eventually hurting those in poverty. What do you mean? Any basic economic course will teach you a couple of things. It will teach you, number one, that when you tax the rich, so-called, which is the the, the, the catchphrase or the the, the watchword of many woke uh, socialists today. When you tax the rich, when you tax them, when you increase their tax rate, when you increase their percentage of being taxed, they will not want to pay that. So they'll do a few things. Those who will and want to will move business elsewhere. If it's the state that's taxing the heck out of them, they'll move to a different state. If it's, not, if it's the country that's doing it, they'll move to a different country. These big corporations can afford to do such. Therefore, that's one path. A second path that we too often don't talk about is the fact that they say, okay, you're going to add taxes on me. So my product or service or that which I provide, which generates my profit, my revenue, and my income, I am going to raise prices on that. So then who pays higher prices? Who pays higher prices? The consumers, you and no one stops and thinks about the basics of that. So as they're being taxed more, and let's just say I am able to make more, right? I'm still giving over more for products and services had they not been taxed as much. The left does not understand, particularly Joe Biden, incentives. Let's keep listening. to what he has to say, because it's important. He gets onto this, this idea of the left well, like seeing chess pieces humans. you can move around on the, on the chessboard to put wherever you want to carry out some grand design. But of course, people react to, to these things. In the early 20s, the tax rate on the top income was 70, 73%. Uh, 
the, and, the, and the people making over $100,000 paid something like 30% of all taxes. By the end of the decade, the tax rate on the top had been cut to 24%. People making over 100000 now paid 65% of all taxes. And the reason is quite simple, that when you have the tax rate at 73%, people simply don't pay it. They put their money into tax-exempt securities and arrange their financial affairs. So what we're really talking about, do you want a symbolic high tax rate on, uh, on the high-income people to, to win votes politically, uh, which, the, which the rich themselves are not, not going to pay? Uh, or do you really want uh, more tax revenue coming into the government? So I say this all the time. The left, those who vote liberal, typically, the, the, those who vote that way, typically value, particularly black people, value symbolism over substance. Hear me. They value symbolism over substance. So I can symbolically raise the tax rate. I can raise the tax rate as a symbol to you, just virtue signal to you to show you that, oh yeah, I'm for the little guy. I can raise taxes on the corporations and on the rich and say I'm for the little guy, while most of my donations come from them in the first place, but that's another conversation. I can say that, right? While I can say that at the front door, while the from in the back door I have donations coming in to my campaign and from these and from these corporations that I'm raising taxes on. So I raise taxes on them. Again, they shift the burden of that cost to the consumer. I understand that. That makes sense. All right, I get it. With that being said, understanding that phenomenon, understanding what that means, it becomes not effective to doing what you said you want to do to help the little guy. It actually ends up in the end, and when all said and done, hurting the little guy. So therefore, it now becomes nothing but symbolism. The left is content with that. As long as you give us symbolism, we're happy. On the day of the inauguration, as it concerns that day, no one was talking about Joe Biden's speech, particularly black people. No one was talking about Joe Biden's speech. No one was talking about the, 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 the gravity or the moment or what it meant to be transitioning power and what it meant now and what the policies were going to be. No one was talking about that. What we were talking about, particularly black people, what we were talking about was Michelle Obama's hairstyle, Michelle Obama's shoes, how Michelle Obama was dressed, how Barack Obama was dressed, and how Kamala Harris looked, and and the fact that we got a symbolic person in a in a sitting as the vice as the vice president, as if that's going to do anything when we got nothing from Obama, who was the president. So that was our focus, much of the black community and the others. That was the focus, as it is with much of the left. The focus is symbolism, not substance. As I think one of these, these activists said, forget the policies. We don't care about Joe Biden's policies. We know Joe Biden is probably not the best or the, smart, or the smartest or the brightest politician. Forget that. We just, we just want the symbolism of a VP that has more melanin content in her skin than past. And historically, past VPs have had. It, it, it's, it's quite infuriating and in many ways belittle. Let's continue to watch. To, to gun owners out there who say, well, a Biden administration means they're going to come for my guns. Bingo. You're right if you have an assault weapon. The fact of the matter is they should be illegal, period. 150. Question. Why should they be illegal? Sincerely, why should assault weapons be illegal when most mass shootings are done with handguns? That's the first thing. Second thing, why should they be illegal when criminals don't follow laws? I, I can never understand the gun control 
uh, debate or whatever they want to call it, because they act as if illegal immigrants, or I mean, they act as if, let me say it this way. I can never understand these, this newfound gun control, right? They act as if criminals who are the ones who perpetrate mass shootings are going to follow the law. They act as if I institute more laws. That means, oh, criminals going to get scared and start following the law. The definition of a criminal is one who does not follow the law. So when you make gun laws and you make gun restrictions or you have gun restrictions or you make it hard to have a gun, what are you doing? You're making it harder for legal people, people who want to follow the law, law-abiding citizens to purchase firearms. Therefore, by slowly restricting and eventually, as they want to, Undoing the Second Amendment. Most school mass shootings happen in what is now known since the 1990s legislation as gun-free zones. So make it make sense to me. How are you going to deal with a criminal behavior by making it harder to get a gun? You're penalizing those who actually want to follow the law, not a criminal. There is no rationale, no justification behind these things. Yet, liberals, yet these liberal politicians espouse these things. Let's continue listening to what Joe Biden um, was told to say, you know, because he, he's a puppet, a complete and total million puppet. people have been killed since 2007 when Bernie voted to exempt the gun manufacturers from liability. More than all the wars, including Vietnam, from that point on. Carnage on our street, and I want to tell you, if I'm elected and I'm coming for you, and gun manufacturers, I'm going to take you on, and I'm going to beat you. I'm the only one who's done it. Obviously, right now, I'm sure you're well aware of the gun debate going on in the country, and you've weighed in on this before. Um, at what point do we say, okay, here is a clear-cut case where, you know, correlation to causation here. We can look at this graph and determine it. One to me that stands out, we've been talking about this quite a bit, with the gun debate, you know, 98% of uh, public mass shootings occur in gun-free zones. 98 Seems yeah, to me percent. that's pretty cut and dry, one that's never talked about. In your opinion, when does it cross that barrier where, okay, we can definitively say this is the reason? Well, I, th I think for, the, for gun control people, it, it, it will never cross that barrier because they will never discuss it in those terms. When, was you, when did you ever see any gun control advocate come up with numbers that show that they don't. gun control reduces uh, uh, murders? They don't. Uh, there's, there's a huge volume of, of evidence out there. Think of it. There mm -hmm. are 50 states, each having all kinds of different gun laws. There are all kinds of ways they could be compared. Think of all the countries around the world with different gun laws, different periods of history when there were different gun laws. And so you have a, a mountain of evidence if you were looking for evidence. Instead, they just simply assume from day one that if you have tighter gun laws, you'll have less murder rates. And, there, and there, there, there's tons of empirical evidence pointing just in the opposite direction. I almost single-handedly made sure that Robert Bork did not get on the court because he did not think there should be enumerated rights. This may be the most important Supreme Court nomination of our time, not simply because Judge Bork is the most highly qualified nominee of this generation, but because this is an historic crossroads as regards the expanding power of judges, which is to say, the erosion of people's rights to govern themselves democratically. Yep. Why did you testify there? And 
What impact did the rejection of Robert Bork have on the rest of the judiciary over the years? Oh, my, I testify because of the gross distortions that were coming out. Uh, I, would listen, I would listen to the he- congressional hearings during the day, and I'd hear how Bork uh, was, you know, at the very least, racially insensitive or, or, or actually opposed to civil rights and so forth. And then I would go over to the Stanford Law Library and, 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 t- and, ch- and check out Judge Bork's arrest. This is crucial because at the time, this is crucial to Joe Biden or relevant to Joe Biden if you listen and don't understand why a, a, a Supreme Court nominee or a Supreme Court justice nominee is um, is being discussed in this video. It's, it's crucial at the time because Joe Biden was the chairman of the Judiciary Committee at the Senate at that time. Mind you, this guy's ancient. He's been around in government forever. He's had no other type of job except being a politician. He knows nothing else, right? So understanding that, Joe Biden, in a grotesque manner, blocked the nomination and the eventual confirmation of Judge Bork, of 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 the so-called or hopeful uh, Justice Bork. He blocked that, and in doing so, you saw not only the, the 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 railroading that the left typically does, led by Joe Biden at the time, you saw a similar pattern to what they did to Bork, to what they tried to do to Clarence Thomas. Which Clarence Thomas famously said that this is nothing more than a high tech lynching. So that's what record and his Thompson record was before about. he became a judge. And I discovered uh, in, in those files uh, Amicus Curiae uh, uh, papers filed by Judge Bork repeatedly on the side of black civil rights organization. I learned that no which was said civil rights advocate had ever lost the case it. in Judge Bork's court. Uh, and I was already familiar with with uh, Bork's record uh, before he even uh, before I even looked into the law because I was teaching economics and I often uh, read things that he wrote about antitrust law, which were which were brilliant things. And so an enormously intelligent man, an enormously decent man, and all sorts of utter filth was brought up. Uh, one being, for example, that he had, that he worked for big filth brought up by. Who you think? Joe Biden, who led at the time the Judiciary Committee. I want to take the time to talk to just highlight something. We're not dealing with in Joe Biden. We're not dealing with a a you know you know the clear the the clean cut guy. They tried to make him. We're not dealing with that. We're not dealing with that. We're dealing with a dirty guy, a dirty guy, a shady politician who um, is beholden to special interest, beholden to super PACs, beholden to the establishment. He is an elite. He's a political elite. He's been an elite for years. So the idea that he would champion anything for the people, which I think was Kamala's uh, theme when her when her failed presidential candidacy, uh, of her failed presidential presidential candidacy, the fact that or the thought that or the thinking that he would champion anything for the people is a complete and utter myth. It's a complete and utter myth. 
Let's keep listening. This is Anthony Kennedy. I want to listen. Wishy-washy and, and, and to, to something he said on The Breakfast Club. Let's listen. You're for Mayor Trump and you. And for that to be turned into, into. Listen to what he's about to say on The Breakfast Club. Two black people on the top rated show. Radio show for black America. Listen, just listen. It, it's absolutely, in my opinion, appalling, disgusting, um, to say the very least. It is disgusting. Completely and utterly disgusting. Listen to what he says. Problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump and you ain't black. It don't have nothing to do with Trump. It has to do with the fact I want something for my community. I would. That's his pitch to the black community. He didn't pitch policy. He didn't pitch a plan. He didn't pitch anything. He simply said, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. That was the man's pitch to the black community. My question to him is, are you serious? His pitch to the black community is, if you don't know whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. That was his pitch to the black community. And we wholeheartedly accepted it. We didn't question it. We didn't push back. He gave a little fake apology, and he moved, he went on about his business. We did not question him whatsoever. His pitch to us was, you black, and you're going to vote for me. And guess what? Many got right in line without asking any question. Why? Because the orange man tweeted bad. I didn't like that he tweeted. I didn't like what he tweeted. Interesting. Quite, quite interesting. Quite interesting. Shameful. I'd love to see Take a look at my record, man. I extended the voting racks 25 years. I have a record that is second to none. The NAACP has endorsed me every time I've run. The NAACP does not, nor have they ever endorsed candidates, political candidates like this. The war, I mean, come on. Take a look at the record. If I'm president... Betsy DeVos's whole notion from charter schools to this are gone. No privately funded charter school would receive or private charter school would receive a penny of federal money. Charter schools or the idea of school choice is one of the most, in my opinion, powerful things and a winning issue. Black people, particularly black parents, single mothers, single parents want the ability to choose where their child can go regardless of their zip code. And Joe Biden has just said and told us before he was elected, told us that he was against charter schools. A charter school saved my life, quite literally. I left public school and my mother had the ability, thank God, to send me to a charter school and it changed the trajectory of my life. I probably would not be sitting here today if I did not transfer into that charter school. But yet Joe Biden wants and is against that, period. He wants, he wants them gone. He, wants, he does not believe in school choice. He wants to relegate your child to a failing public school. Why? Because he's beholden to teachers' unions. He said that he was against charter schools prior to the election, yet we voted him in. And his, his, his opposition to charter schools is not going to hurt Sally Sue in the suburbs too much, but it's going to mainly hurt inner city kids, particularly black children.
We voted in hopes of getting change when we're really just getting and got the status quo. And it's going to hurt most of all the people that helped him get in office, black people. Let's keep listening to, to, to this. Talking about the first, we're talking about now the first 75 days of this, oh, this disastrous administration. Let's see this. None. One of the classic examples to me of thing, a few things that are going very well in, in the ghettos across the country, and that's uh, some of the charter schools that have come in where, uh, where the, rest, the public schools, the kids are just wiped out. I mean, the kids in those, those ghetto schools often are two or three years behind the national norms and all kinds of stuff. But in some of these ghetto schools, especially those run by the KIPP organization or by the uh, success charter schools. Char- I'm sorry, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, charter schools in the ghetto. Right. Uh, they, their kids are scoring at levels equal to, and in some t- cases better than, that in affluent suburbs where the kids come from family who's making 200 grand a year. And you would think, my God, this is something that ought to get a lot of attention. The welfare state supporters are fighting against charter schools. Yep. The NAACP is fighting against charter schools. Charter schools breed some type of independence from teachers unions beholden to failing standards and un- and out-of-date approaches. It is one of the greatest pathways, I think, to prosperity for black people, for black children. Yet the welfare staters, those who are beholden to the welfare state and statism, those who want bigger government and bigger government control and influence, and also bigger government dependence, are completely 100% Joe Biden is one of them, beholden and, and committed to outstamping charter schools. This is what we've got. And we've seen this direction as in the first 75 days of the Biden administration, as he's been on the side of teachers unions, as it concerns our reopening and getting beyond the pandemic, he has sided with teachers unions instead of students. Why? Because teachers unions are the ones who give him the endorsement and it is it's advantageous to him politically. Truth hurt. I know the truth hurt. Uh, the teachers unions give a lot of money to politicians. They give money to the NAACP. Sure they want to control of the schools because the schools are a source of jobs. Uh, whether or not the kids learn anything is not their concern. I think, I think the most cynical thing you can find in American politics are those uh, people who are making themselves big champions of blacks and yet who are fighting against the one, one school <laughs> kind of schools that are offering a way out poverty for millions of black kids thomas that was my way out beyond anything charter schools was and is a way out and it was a way out for me and it breaks my heart to see that disappear it breaks my heart to see that go away it breaks my heart to see us vote in people and blindly vote in people and they're actually supporting things that are anti our interest. You're supposed to be for black people. You're supposed to be for the little guy. Yet you want to abort us in obscene, disproportionate rate to get us, exterminate us and kill us through abortion. You don't, you want to relegate us to failing public schools. You don't want charter schools. You want to either outlaw 
or a diminished standing of charter schools because you want to relegate students to failing public schools because you're beholden to the teachers unions that give you money. How are you for the people? Yet this is what we've got in Joe Biden and we've seen it expressed, even if it's just in a cursory way, the first one hundred the first seventy, excuse me, seventy-five days of his presidency. Let's keep listening. And I had you on right before the election. Uh, I asked you what you thought Trump versus Hillary, and you said, well, Hillary is a known disaster. Trump is a risk. You'll take the risk. How do you feel about Trump versus Biden? Uh, not, not that different, except I think Biden is a bigger risk than Hillary was. Be- because? Because, first of all, he's, he's not as smart. <laughs> and I think uh, that the way things are poised, That's true. if he comes in and the Democrats take the Senate, I don't see anything getting better in this generation. I also believe that even though the country has weathered many bad things in the past, there is a point of no return. And I suspect that that's where we're going to be taken to. When I see people talking seriously about abolishing the police force, my gosh, I mean, insanity. And, of course, the biggest losers, if they do that, would be the low-income minority communities where you already have these rising rates uh, of murder uh, as the police withdraw. And the police themselves, when they realize that there are are politicians who will throw them to the wolves uh, uh, rather than uh, confront the loudmouths, they pull back. Mm -hmm. They're they're not going to go out there and risk their lives needlessly, knowing that the politicians will will, uh, turn against them if there's any problem. What do you think will happen in November? Oh, this this is a... Politics is very tough to predict. Mm-hmm. Sadly, uh, we I'm know told what happened. That, uh, uh, at one point, there was someone who had a, had a 19-point lead at this time. Of yeah, year. I, I think I, Dukakis did, I think, at one point. He that's was, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. They saw, by luck, Dukakis for what he was, a phony. Mm-hmm. And I think that if they see Biden for what he is, not only a phony, but an incompetent one, then, of course, all of this can turn around. But, but there's so much hanging on this. I think that's a profound statement. Joe Biden is a phony. He is a phony. And not only is Thomas Sosa a phony, he's an incompetent phony. And I think we've seen that the last 75 days as he's botched the border, as he's made what was not a crisis, but an issue, but it was managed and it was significantly down prior to when Trump took office. He's managed to exacerbate that and make it a crisis within what that was happening within his first 30 days. And we're at the 75 day about over a bit over the 75 day around 75 days of the 100, the first 100 days. So he's done that. He has, we've seen inflation slowly rise. We've seen gas prices all over the country slowly rise in some States like California, which partly their, their leadership, local leadership is there to blame. But we see in states like California, gas prices being almost $5 a gallon when they were down to two in some states, $1.80 something or 90 something in some states under Trump. Policy matters and policy should matter way more than than personality, because at the end of the day, personality, it can offend you. It can make you look a different way. It can make you look sideways at an individual. But at the end of the day, personality does not is not going to sit down and sign these things into law and sign these executive orders. It's going to be policy goals and initiatives. 
that affects you in your everyday life, period. That if that doesn't happen, we are going to be in big trouble. It means that the Democrats will, have, will be able to appoint the next whatever number of Supreme Court justices Sadly. during their term. They have so many counterproductive policies out there that uh, I'm not sure the country can recover from. I'm not sure the country will be able to recover. I don't know. I, uh, I'm hopeful. I have hope. I, I think it will probably get worse now at this point before, before it gets better. Um, there is a bit of hope there, but I just don't know. I just don't. In the end, we'll say, and I've said it before, in the end, America will regret what she has rejected. Um, and I, I think that's becoming clearer and clearer every day. Something was said that we are not, meaning those who may lean conservative or are conservative, we are not the minority. We are the majority. However, because the minority is so loud, and because they control nearly every single institution, every single cultural institution, the media, academia, uh, uh, they control certain culture, other cultural institutions. Because the minority controls so many cultural institutions, they are drowning out the majority. And I wholeheartedly believe that. Wholeheartedly. Sincerely believe that. We're, on, we're at the 75-day mark three-fourths of the first 100 days of the Joe Biden administration. We've seen inflation. We've seen slowly rising gas prices. We've seen the crisis at the border in a light that is heartbreaking. I want to play a video as we end that shows this from Project Veritas. It's located under the Anzaldúa International Bridge. What you're looking at is never-before-seen footage showing migrants of all ages, lying in the dirt, operating. You see people in these aluminum blankets. Wow. Sickly. It was not like this under Trump. And this is only 75 days into a Joe Biden to pick up more bodies for processing. If you're an insider working near the southern border, email us at veritastips at protonmail.com. Sick, sick, sick. Had that been Trump, rightfully so, they would have been on his neck. With Biden, oh, it's not a crisis, it's an issue. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Quite, quite, quite interesting. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Hope you guys learned something as we are entering into this new era that is the Biden-Harris era. Again, America will regret what she has rejected. America, and I think we'll see very strongly, very quickly, very swiftly that that we that we did not necessarily get what we bargained for. Uh, we got worse, much, much worse. Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Hope you guys enjoyed listening. Hope you guys enjoyed watching. Again, please like, subscribe, and share. Share this with others. Tell others about 
Jay Shakur and this podcast changing the narrative as well. As well, do me a favor. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so by going to jayshakurshow.com or going to our podcast homepage, which you'll find the link in the description. Go into our homepage, our podcast homepage, and donating. You can give five, ten, fifteen dollars a month. Help the quality of this podcast. Expand the quality of this podcast. I'm looking forward to this going forward and being bigger and better than it ever, ever could be. And I listen, I need your help to do that. I sincerely do need your help to do that. Again, you can donate at jayshakorshow.com. That's J-A-Y-S-H-A-K-U-R show.com as well. You can donate on our podcast homepage. We use Anchor to host currently at this moment our podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for tuning in. And you will hear from me. Hear you. I promise you will. Hear from me very, very soon. You don't become what you want because so much of wanting is about living in the space of what you don't have. I believe that we all share this common desire. We all want to be liked. We all want to be accepted. Everything we do in some way considers that fact. You can't play life if you don't have vision. You don't build your character because, you know, you know, letting go of your ego. Thank you for listening.